and gentlemen, we're shoveling the potatoes and turkey into our systems. <laughs> I'm Matt, the producer. <laughs> this is the growing season right here on News Talks like at 960 AM, and this is our Thanksgiving show. What the heck does that have to do with horticulture? Well, just give yourself a, a bit of a head scratch here and think about the amount of things that are involved with your Thanksgiving dinner, be it potatoes, be it corn, be it cranberries, be it blueberries. All of those things are horticultural or agricultural organisms, and we're going to chat about everything and anything that will end up on your Thanksgiving plate, even turkeys. Okay, and also undoing your belt buckle and laying on the couch. I'm Matt, the producer. Please be joined by my parents, Jack and Lynn. Guys, how are you? Matthew, I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, we had a nice little road trip up to Mount Forest. Did you really? Yeah. Why? How come? Your dad's brother lives there now. Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. And I can't wait to, to see you guys tomorrow for for Thanksgiving. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. We haven't really decided who's going where and what, but yeah, I guess... we'll uh, work that out. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. As I made mention, this is the growing season and we're going to be chatting about Thanksgiving stuff. You're going to notice in, in the coming weeks, we're going to begin making our transition into off the job site and now into more of the horticultural WTFs which we generally get to over the winter. And then once the season begins again, coming into spring, then we transition right back into on-the-job site stuff and we continue to roll. All that and much more, including dollops and dollops of historical and wonderful elements about your Thanksgiving dinner. She's Jack, he's Lynn, I am Matt. The McFarlands are pleased to usher in the holiday season right here on The Growing Season on News Talk. It's like a 9.60 a.m. And we're back. That sound you hear in the background would be the sound of a turkey probably running for its full life right now. This is the growing season on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm Matt McFarland. Please be joined by my parents, Jack and Lynn. Guys, I got to say, one of my biggest... Wait, wait, wait. What? We should tell our listeners here, Matthew, that... Nothing in the show is going to be harmed in any way whatsoever. <laughs> yes. Nothing with a face <laughs> has any worry today, right? Yes. Yeah, no animals were harmed during the making of this, of this show. show. Yes, absolutely. Actually, it's funny. I, I bought a turkey. This is the first turkey that I've ever bought. And I think it's because we had anticipated, or maybe we do this business on air. You guys are going to come to our place for, for, for Thanksgiving, okay? Was it a pet? No, 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 no. This is a, it's a butterball turkey, but it, actually it's the first one that I had ever bought. I've never bought a, because you know what happens is you end up like when you're, when you're a son or a daughter, your parents usually host Thanksgiving or somebody else's parents are hosting Thanksgiving. So it really only happens. Like for instance, when did you guys start hosting Thanksgiving? I was about 11. Shut up. <laughs> <the hell. laughs> Actually, Matthew. Yeah. Um, when you were in prison. <laughs> uh, I hadn't cooked a turkey until maybe the last three or four years because I always went to dad's side See? for Thanksgiving. Exactly. And the same uh, for Christmas Day, you know, and then all of a sudden I've got this big bird to cook and I was a little nervous, but I, we're still alive. So everybody survived my turkey yep. cooking. Yes, Except yeah. the turkey was Except yeah, yeah, the turkey yeah, Everybody yeah. but the turkey. Question for you then, because uh, I'm unfamiliar with all this. How far in advance do I have to pull out my turkey to thaw this sucker? Is it 48 Three hours? ahead. It's 72 hours? Yeah. In well, the fridge. Are you doing it in the fridge? Yeah. I'm not cooking the turkey in the fridge, no. 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 <laughs> no. Wow. This bird's raw. <laughs> no, but you have fridge to. Is you have to. Generally, you thought in the fridge if possible. For, th for three days in advance. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. What, good to know. What made you decide to cook a turkey this year, Matt? Well, because... I don't know. I was just, you know what it was? Is it was I was at the grocery store. I'm and actually, you know what? Full, full disclosure. My my wife said, when you're there, get a turkey. I'm like, all right. I just I just do what I told. It's safer that way. Yeah. Right. We're going to be chatting about many things Thanksgiving on the show, and this whole thing is rooted in history. Now, we are going to be making mention of some American history on the first part of this segment, and it's interesting because all of us including the Americans, but right now, mostly the Americans are living through history because I'm sure that they are giving thanks that potentially within a month's time, there could be a change of, uh, a change of <laughs> command of a hood ornament in that, in that country. Cause holy cow, man, I give thanks. Thank you. For the fact that I was born in Canada because holy jeez, it was my pleasure, Matt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gross. Oh, there's the sound of a person vomiting. All right. 
Are we touching on American history first or touching on Canadian history first? No, there's some Canadian history. Okay. Now, ours is generally boring, so feel free to spice it up. I'm going to spice it up. All right, good. Okay. Our aboriginals, the ones especially that farmed. The ones that were the caretakers of the forest deciding what would become fall color and what wouldn't become fall color. They had a fall harvest festival. They would have a feast. They didn't call it Thanksgiving. And I don't know which tribes did it and which didn't. But in 1578, Martin Frobisher, English pirate and explorer, set forth from England, sailed forth from England to find the Northwest Passage. And he found Newfoundland. How does one become a pirate? Is there a school? Um, I actually think he was probably... There's a lot of stealing going on. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of... Like, is there a designation? There's a checklist. Yeah. (laughs) Sir Francis Drake was a pirate, too. And he was a great explorer. Okay. But I'm saying, but how do you... I think it was even sanctioned by the British government. Pirates. Yeah. Go out there and find some new lands. And by the way, if you see a gold-laden Spanish galleon, get some of that for us, too. Yeah. All of those endeavors... The, 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 the Crusades, Christopher Columbus, all of that stuff was just about greed, wasn't it? Gold, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, just, it was just greed. Yeah. Right? So and anyhow, he landed safely on Newfoundland, and he was quite happy, but he didn't know <laughs> it was Newfoundland. they proceeded to screech him in, they make him kiss the codfish, and they got no. him hammered. <laughs> he had a nice feast for his crew. Okay. So we say that that was the first Thanksgiving feast in North America, but the Americans will disagree because... Um, we weren't celebrating a bountiful harvest. We were just glad that we got here. Now, hold up a second, though, because fake news goes right back to, to that era. Oh, of course it does. Right? Yeah. Do you believe anything? That, <laughs> That's right. It's more of a myth or a legend. Right, yeah. Okay. But our Thanksgiving, actually, in the 1850s, uh, the head of the Protestant churches began to lobby our federal government that we need a day. Mom? Mom? That, we, uh, need, that we need a day... <laughs> I'm going to create a new alert for a new alert for you called the table alert. <laughs> we need a day set aside to give thanks for a bountiful harvest. It was also to remind the Canadian public that God is real. So finally, in on November the sixth, eighteen seventy nine, we celebrated our first official Thanksgiving. Huh. Now from that point, it got moved to the second Monday in October. But the American Thanksgiving. Now this is the Pilgrims and all that. But what shocked me when I researched that. The pilgrims set sail from England, took them 66 days to get to, they were hoping it was Virginia, because there had been an English colony there before in 1607, but the winds and the currents had a different plan, and they ended up in Massachusetts. Now, what shocked me was, these poor people getting off this ship in November in Massachusetts, like, they can't farm or anything. It's, it's almost winter. So what are they, how are they having a, a feast? Well, I'm, the average, they didn't. No, not, not, not they, that year, Matthew. No. The following year they had the feast. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. So, so the first Thanksgiving was a bust. Well, Bummer. It was, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Sucks. Nobody right. showed. <laughs> like, what did they have with them? I mean, they would have brought all their seeds and that, but they had to have enough food to get through the winter. But the aboriginals, now I can't pronounce the names. It's something like the Wampanoag Indians. I would Close think, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would think they helped them a lot. Like huh. they showed them what to eat, what not to eat, and how to get through the winter because they would have perished. While we're on the topic of this, Orange Shirt Day was last September week. September 30th. Yeah. Now, I, I was somewhat familiar with what this was about, but I wasn't super familiar. But my son, specifically my son, not so much my daughter, because for our audience, my daughter and my son are doing online learning this, uh, probably this, this year. I would assume it's going to basically take the whole school year. And my daughter's an SK, so it's just, you know, hey, draw a turkey, whatever, okay? But my son, he had to participate in, in Orange Shirt Day. The topic of residential schools came up, and that just makes you ashamed to be of European descent. It just makes you ashamed. Like, it's horrendously bad. Yeah. And they're teaching these grade twos about this, and my son came away with a number of questions like, wait a second, they... They took them from their mummies and daddies. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They cut their hair. Yeah. They forced them to speak English. They could not speak their native tongue. Yeah. Like I had a atrocities. I had, Matthew, I had a, an employee, uh, Vince Gray. Yep. Uh, he, he was a big, residential school. Yes. No, no, 60 scoops. He was, he was the scoop. Yeah. So he, what, he was, what, basic, um, was what? In the 1960s, it was thought that it would be good for Aboriginal children to be removed from their homes on reserves 
and adopted by loving white families. So Why? They could acclimate. What could possibly come of that? Why? Well, they thought they were better for it, Matthew. Uh, that's Taking them from their biological I, parents? I, yes. Well, they figured because of reserves. poverty and so forth, and that was yeah. what oh was going God. on. Oh, my God. Well, you, know, you met Vince. He was a lovely a person. A wonderful person. And, uh, you know, his, his parents, like his dad was a doctor and so forth. Yeah. So they, they treated them people. super, super and well, they, Matthew. Now, you said that Vince was an amazing worker. And with Rock, you said this guy was just like, like no other. No, he was amazing. Absolutely. That's fantastic. How long did you employ him? I would say for probably four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him. I remember he him. He was a big Built fellow. like a truck. Oh, an amazing person with rock. Yeah. I said it was because he was running through the forest all the time, <laughs> tripping over rocks. But <laughs> but no, Matthew, some people just have a, a natural flair for it, like yeah. yourself yeah. and myself included. Yeah. But it takes a lot of practice, right? It does. Yeah, it does. The number of times, audience, that I'm on a job site where I'll have the customer come out and they're they would walk by and be like, like, what are you doing? I'm just sighting up this rock here. Well, okay. Well, how come you're not putting it like this or like that? And I said, just, well, just watch. And you flip it, you turn it, you do this and that. And then you lock it into the next rock and they're like, that's amazing. How did you do that? And it's just, you just begin to learn. So we got completely off topic. Well, kind of off topic there. So the um, American pirates dudes show up. It's November. They yeah, can't. Pilgrims. They, they're they, not pirates. Right. Pilgrims, sorry. They were actually left England because of uh, religious persecution. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. So they show up on the shores of Massachusetts. It would have been cold and cloudy, probably, and really cold. I've been to Massachusetts. Let, let me tell you. I've been to Massachusetts in October, and it's it's yeah. it's cold and awful. Yeah. Right? So I was blown away. I was like, holy cow, what do these people live on for? Like, well, it would have taken them till spring to plant, and then they would have had to go. Th- Wait till the end of the season to get yeah. what they needed. Yeah. Yeah. So those and it wouldn't people. have been. Uh, remember, you, you got to feed a whole community here, right? And so the pa- and then pa- you got people showing up like a brand new like so if new you're people. the if you're the Aboriginals mm-hmm. if if you're the Indigenous peoples in Massachusetts and you got these people showing up no food and you're basically yeah. now cutting, and your your resources your- are having to go to help them because generally speaking the Aboriginals were very generous. They shared. In fact, our explorers, I'm not sure which one it was, maybe Cartier, uh, he came before Champlain, and his whole bunch of men and himself would have died if the aboriginals hadn't shown them how to make the, was it pine bark or cedar tea to cure scurvy? Great segue, Matthew, because the the history of the past will delegate or uh, designate what is going on today. Okay? Yep. So I got a good question for you. What were the three berries that were existing when the pilgrims arrived back in the 1600s. Okay, so one of them has got to be raspberries. Uh, no. Okay. Blueberries got to be here. Blueberry right on the top of the list, yeah. Cranberries, I know, but that doesn't, again, doesn't make any sense to me because whenever I think about cranberry, I think about Thailand or or climates like that where, where they're basically have cranberry farms and these things are floating in the water. And then the third would be, it's got to be some manner of like grape, like a frost grape or concord grape or something like that. Well, I don't think frost grape were actually eaten. Vitus riparia weren't yeah. eaten. Okay. But yeah. They- oh, and there's, and there's a Latin alert. Wow. 11 minutes and 55 seconds and we finally got to a Latin alert. Awesome. Yeah, there's not really going to be a lot of that, Matthew. But anyways, the, okay, so as far as fruiting trees go, what was around at the time in the 1600s? Okay, so the- I want to say apple. But you're going to tell me no. Yes, it's an apple. Okay. But it's actually a, a the common apples or a crab apple is what they're called today. Okay. It's a good segue into apples, Matt. Speaking of apples, uh, a friend of mine, I have a I have a weekly grocery date. So a guy that I only see at the grocery store, Rich. Rich. Right, okay. So I see him at, at the grocery store once a week on a Sunday. And thanks to Scott Lunau from Albion Orchards, we got we to catch up with with Scott and see how Scott's doing. But so Scott Linnell from Albion Orchards joined us last year in and around this time talking about apples. And I remember him chatting about the Honeycrisp apple and how it is essentially, 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 (laughs) I've been essentially, it's essentially a genetically modified organism. This thing has been almost created in a lab. And when you purchase a Honeycrisp tree, 
there's a there's a bit of an extra fee attached to this because it has to be kicked back to the the scientists, the botanists, geneticists, yeah, that developed this thing. And Rich was like, "What?" So he never tried one. I said, "Listen, because they, they were they're like four dollars and forty nine cents a pound, where your regular apples are like two dollars and twenty nine cents a pound." I said, "Listen, man, seriously, just pick up two or three of them." Okay, that's what we do. So he grabbed two or three. I said, "Have them when you get home. Text me." So he, he texts me when he gets home. He's like, "These things are incredible," but he's like, "Way too much money, but they're incredible. They're they're amazing." So Matt, they, they say that they're basically one of the sweetest. And crunchiest apples out there. And that was that was the modus operandi. Apparently for the, the Honeycrisp apple, it was dial up the sweetness, but mostly dial up the crunch. There's a snap when you bite into that apple. Do you know why? It has to be cellular. What they've done is they've actually made the cells larger and much more. That makes the, the apple actually crunchier when you bite into it. It sounds like a Samsung phone. They just, they just keep making the cells larger. Uh-huh. Ah! Uh, <laughs> but... Maddie, for the most part, most people, if they have, if they live anywhere in the world, they know what an apple is, right? Yeah, I would imagine. Are there any places that wouldn't have apples? Well, obviously, the poles wouldn't be having apples growing naturally. What? The poles. poles. The poles. North and South. Oh, Pole. the poles. Like, I'm sorry, but you're, yeah. you're actually Poland is the number three producer of what? apples. U.S. is number, number two. Well, no. No. You know one? What is it? China. It's China. Number one. China's number one? And apples originally came from China. Okay, well, then, the, then the question being is, zone-wise then, are these things fairly fairly adaptable as far as zone? Like, if you're getting into China, and even they grow wild here. Like, okay, then, all right, the question would be, we now know that zone three, you're getting into Timmins if you're in Ontario. Mm-hmm. You're getting into Winnipeg. You're getting into that area. Do, do apples grow naturally would would they be growing naturally in in zone three in in winnipeg well from what they're saying matt for the most part apples grow best around the areas of the great lakes really yep so anything from georgian bay lake Erie, huron right Mm -hmm. all these places are the best areas for growing apples uh, good apples they originally came from the tian shan mountains in kazakhstan which is like somewhere near china Wow. That's where apples originally came from. They've been around for millions of years, but that's their place of origin. But Matt, here's, a, here's really kind of a sad thing. This summer, the matriarch that was brought over in 1826, which was basically the, the reason why all these apples are existing down in the Vancouver, Washington area, she died. She died? She's 194 years old. She so died. did they give a reason? What's... What's the reason? Did they I don't, they reason? didn't give a reason, but I would imagine it's probably something like, number one, climate change. It could have been because it was an extremely hot, dry summer. Yep. It could have been something to do with the forest fires down down that way. Right, Tulin? Maybe yeah, from the, the, yeah. the air quality and everything. We now know that the majority of North America's almonds come from the California region. Yeah, Central Valley. I think up 80 to 90% of all the almonds in the world come from... In the world? In the world. Okay, so then the question being is, how many of those almond trees were affected, not even necessarily burned, but the, the, the level of smoke that has to be in the atmosphere cannot be good for the trees? No. What was the level of effect? Well, all I know, Matt, is that that not so much, but for the... Uh, they had a, a series of droughts over the last seven or eight years, Okay. And so what ended up happening was they ended up plowing under, cutting down and plowing under approximately 10 to 15% of all the almond trees. What? Because they just couldn't water them. They take a lot of water and they were just not something that was a big enough gain. So they cut them down and they burned them. No matter though, this is all a hoax. Climate change is a hoax, ladies and gentlemen, according to certain people. But anyways, anyway, we, we are supposed to be staying away from... Yes, I know, it's, but it's damn near impossible. It's damn near impossible when you are the, the luxury apartment <laughs> above a meth lab. Yes. Okay, Matt. Yes. yes. What is the apple... That's primed to explode. Let's do, yeah, seriously. we got to stay on point here. All right, sorry. What's the, what's the Canadian national apple? Well, it should be Royal Gala because it's, it's the best apple. That's the favorite apple. Yeah. What's our national apple? Oh, God. 
Uh, gotta be one of the old ones that gets the bruises really easy and doesn't taste all that great. Um, like a Macintosh or something. It's yeah, a Macintosh. That's a disaster. So they that s- needs to be changed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit. I'm gonna petition the uh, federal government. Change it. But they say the actual Macintosh food. suck. Well, yes, they I, suck. They, they are awful apples. They bruise easily. They bruise easy. They, go, they get yeah, very If soft you like your apple brown, like a like a skid mark. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, they're just not a great apple. But they Even can get around that, Matthew. They can get around. Marks, the, yeah, you have to wipe no, better. No. Oh. They can get around the brown <laughs> apple by trying. using that that new Arctic. The Arctic uh, apple. Apple. Ar- Arctic apple. Yeah. Oof, that was yeah, a hard but, one. But that's, that's, a different, that's a different variety of apple. Sure. S- stay on point. The Macintosh suck. It's it pretty, sucks. pretty low on the, it's ridiculous. the echelon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they said that Gala was one of the favorites. Yeah, they're, and, they're, they're fantastic. And they used to be the Red Delicious was used to be the favorite. When you were planting crab apples on uh, properties, okay, and you should be ashamed of yourself, but then again, you're also the Austrian pine slinger, so whatever, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, for our audience, listen, I, I'm not necessarily a, a crab apple hater, but Nine times out of ten, these things are planted close to a patio or a walkway or something, and they are just the worst. They stain your concrete. They stay, it's just it's awful. They're 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 a haven for bees. It's just a disaster. But there are a couple out there, and you keep mentioning profusion, the the profusion crab apple. Why do you like that one so much? Because it has a purple leaf, not just a flower, and okay. that's why I like it. Also, royalty is good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's the reason why I would choose it. But Matt. We can't we can't flounder long on <laughs> on apples. Okay. All right. All right. So can we move off on to say blueberries? I'm a big fan. Okay. Yeah. So what do you like about blueberries? They're amazing because for for the most part you need a boy and a girl, okay, to make this thing happen. Yes. I would say yes. Yeah. Wind pollination, no more. Right. Okay. Isn't it? Yeah, and these things, they will take wickedly low temperatures. Oh, wickedly low. Like minus threes. 30, minus 40. Like zone three, right? Zone three, yeah, yeah. really. And even lower yeah. in some spots. And yeah. you know what? It's one of those things where when we're using, if we have a customer that, that requests edibles on a job, this is one that you have, like you have full confidence. A little kid will know what a blueberry looks like. Do you know what I'm saying? Nothing looks like a blueberry. A blueberry looks like that. You start getting into... Some of the other ones, I mean, it could be nightshade pretty easily, right? But blueberries look like blueberries. And they're generally on, for the most part, they're fairly low, around yeah, 12 inches tall yeah, or so. Right. But we will, we will get taller varieties, okay? We, we sell them as landscapers. And we would be using things like Blue Jay, Blue Crop, Elliot, say Duke. Uh, I like Patriot myself and Just Blue keep Gold. rhyming them off. You just bang me oh, with five. You just <laughs> seriously take a sledgehammer and hit me right in the junk here. There's this five more that I had to put on the stinking thing. But the thing is with, with uh, the warmer climates, okay, so places, they say us, five and up to ten, they have to get into more of the high bush varieties of blueberries. Why? They just don't do well when it's warmer temperatures. They like it in a relatively cool, cool kind of temperate environment. Really? Yep. And the soil conditions, Matthew, you must realize that it takes... It's alkaline, isn't it? It's... A, no, it's, it's acidic. acidic. Right. 4.5 to 5.5. And so, in the, again, the... It sounds like they like a fairly, uh, let me think here for a second, moist, well-drained soil, and but they like lots of organic matter if you really want them to grow. Right. And I know that some people uh, will have a lot of pine needles and leaves and so forth, and they'll put them around their, their blueberry plant. And that's fine. And they'll do just fine do, uh, by doing that. But you, you must remember that you, you need more than one if you want to get a lot of fruit. Yep. It should be basically in full sun, or otherwise you won't get a lot of fruit. Right. And so these are a few of the things. You fruit, flower means fruit, and so forth. So you, you need to make sure that they get the right conditions if you want to get enough fruit. Now these things are wind pollinated. Actually, upon further investigation here, get this: these things are everything pollinated. It's a freaking orgy if you're a blueberry. They have to basically they can be cross pollinated by winds and by wind and bees. Okay, but they need to have a number of blueberries close by to each other to help pollinate. As well, anything they they basically even a bit of wind, right? Yeah, they just I, I just said that bees and wind, wind? pollination. Okay. These <laughs> these things here, it's just listen, they're go getters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at them the wrong way, and they're going to be producing fruit. It's fantastic. But, go ahead. So, Matt, for the most part, though, there's only about sixteen percent of the land in Ontario that's suitable for growing blueberries. Well, it, 
we, listen, we very rarely, we very rarely come across acidic soil. Okay, full disclosure, audience, I'm not bringing the friggin' pH strips out to job sites. I'm not, okay? Generally, if you're seeing regular, like, subdivision topsoil, it's probably neutral or maybe even slightly alkaline. The only time that you're dealing with acidic is when you see the presence of, well, if it was a job installed by Blue Jay Landscaping in the 1980s, then, yeah. <laughs> then you know exactly what you're getting, right? But forests, forests, trees, where you got a lot of areas with your pines and your spruce and that, and anything coniferous, really. Sure. Other than that, you're, you're dealing with basically neutral or alkaline. Hurry, mom. My uh, sister up in Sioux Lookout, so lots of pine trees and rock, she harvests about 10 gallons of blueberries a year. But again, you're saying ideal situation here, right? Because you're dealing with limestone. You're also dealing with highly acidic or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. like an acidic soil base, right? Absolutely. And the other thing too here is is, is you said well-drained soils, right? Well, uh, you've dug into subdivision properties. What's the predominant soil type that you're getting into? Heavy clay. Heavy, Heavy clay. So do we have time to hit cranberries for a second? We do not. We're going to have to wait until the other side. Deal? Okay. She's Lynn. He's Jack. Waiting for the other side. And I'm Matt. And I am leading to the other side. This is the growing season right here on News Talk. Saga 960 AM. cannot think of a more refreshing drink than a half and half cranberry. Half cranberry, half water, lots of ice. It's absolutely gorgeous. Males, it's wonderful for your bladder. It keeps your urethra in top working order. And let me tell you, we all want that, right? Nobody wants... Good for us, uh, Nobody wants a low-functioning so urethra. Matthew. Yes, sir. Cranberry is a true berry. Explain. A true berry is... You're dealing with like an ovary, right? Basically, Matt, it's a simple fleshy fruit. Yeah. Which is formed around an ovary yep. of one flower yep. with seeds that are embedded in the flesh. Yeah. Okay. So, so give me some examples besides cranberry. Serviceberry. Okay. Okay. Blueberry, cranberry, tomatoes, peppers. So it gives you an idea that all those ones are actually true berries. Okay. But anyways, Matt. If you were going to say something about cranberry that was unusual, it's growing conditions, what would you say? Well, it likes a lot of water. Fair bit of water. A lot of water. But it doesn't like to be in water all the time. So why is it in water when they harvest? That I don't know. What is it? Okay, these things float. Right, why? They have an air pocket inside them? They have a little bit of air in them, okay. which allows them to float. All right. So what they do is they're basically, they're, they're on a, a small shrub which is a trailing woody perennial vine, Matthew. All right. That has trailing branches in the neighborhood of, say, 20 centimeters long, and they have white flowers, okay? Relaxed petals, of course. Everybody has to have relaxed (laughs) petals. Yes, nobody wants their petals to be stressed. (laughs) They have a thick, robust stem, and the leaves are generally... As do I. As so do me. (laughs) So do I. So do me. That's very poor language. So do Green, ovate leaves... Yeah. And, the, and, of course, everybody knows what the actual berry looks like. It's very red. Yes. So, anyways, Matthew, prior to when they are going to harvest, what they do is they flood it with approximately 18 inches of water, about, call it half a meter. They flood what? They flood the area where all of the with cranberries. With the plants. They submerge the plants. All, plants all of them. All of them. And what they end up doing is they, the berries themselves, what they do is they bring in a machine and it's basically like an egg beater, okay? And what it does is it will beat the, the branches of the plants. Yeah. This sounds pretty rude. <laughs> <laughs> Notice and, the uh, vibrator sound in the background, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's, it's called something like a roto-reeler or some crazy name. But it's basically just a giant egg beater that beats the actual little cranberries so they will float to the surface so they can actually collect them and take them away. That's abuse. Who's advocating for the cranberry plants? I don't know who's adv- advocating at all okay, for them. Matthew. Now hold on a second, though. You're you're like a you're like a straight up liar because you said that these things don't like to be super wet, 
They're under the damn water when they're harvested. Only for a short period of time. It's only for they're the length still, of time. Listen, I can be underwater for a short period of time and die, right? These things are submerged. They flood the area with 18 inches of water, you said. Yes. But the night before, it's not like I'm going to do three weeks prior. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Let's, shall we test the theory out? Let's put you in the bathtub the night before. See how, see how you feel the next day. Like, do, like, do you know what I'm saying? I get it. That's not fair, but, man. But Matthew, in the end, it it works. Yeah. We have cranberries coming out of our you-know-whats. Yeah. And, yeah. Out of and, our every, <laughs> and everybody's kidneys are feeling much better for it. Absolutely. I love, I, I love it. You're not an alcohol drinker. None. But vodka and cran is unbelievable. Unbelievably good. So, Matthew, one last thing yeah. before we move off the fruit and move into the vegetables. Yeah. Okay, so what was the last of the three? You had mentioned it in the earlier or the previous part of the show. Yep. What was the other berry that was growing here? Well, we said cranberries, blueberries, and Concord grapes. Concord grapes. And so what's so magical about Concord grapes? Now, wait a second. A Concord grape is not a berry because it's got a seed inside, like a single seed. Okay. It's a droop. Is it a droop? Is it encased by... The seed's not encased by a stone. No, it's not encased by a stone. So what is it? What the heck's the grape then? The grape would be... (laughs) A grape. Would it be a true berry or an aggregate? We're going to do some homework on this, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to find out what, what the grape is. Well, no, but... No, it be Wasn't it because a true berry, you guys said the true berry was the thing where it, it had multiple berries on, or multiple seeds on the inside. The grape only has one. The grape only has one or two at max. What? More than that. One it, or two. It's not full three, of seeds. No, but it's probably three or four inside. inside. Those okay, but sure. it's not. I agree. But then, then what about the seedless ones and so forth? This, what's that? I have no idea. It has to do with the type of, uh, again, it's been genetically modified to not form seeds. It has to be. But anyways, Matthew, back to the, out of the inside of the grape and then to the outside. So what were they using them for? Concord grapes? Yeah. We're probably eating, I would imagine. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There was probably just straight up eating, right? Concord grape. Shout out to Mike from the Tottenham Community Garden. He wants us to grab him some Concord grapes coming in the in the spring. He asked me. He said, "Hey, what would be the what's the what's the the primary eating grape here in Canada?" And I said, "Concord. Concord's the one, and because that's the one that's turned into raisins as as well. Sure, and that's your primary raisin grape. But it was a Vitis Labrusca, right? Is <laughs> yeah. the one. Anybody knew that, <laughs> right? Beer. But you Vitis want Matthew? Labrusca. But Niagara grapes were also basically here. So really, the, the green grapes." So not the green grapes that we would be eating that are, again, seedless. Right. But for the most part, they were basically here. There was about five grapes that were actually here, but Concord was the number one grape. All right. While we're on this topic, frost grape. Nasty sucker. Vitus riparia. Yeah. And got to be up there with like dog strangling vine and all that stuff as far as it just can absolutely choke a tree. I recently did a pruning job. Dad, I saw Vitus riparia vines that had to be an inch an inch around an inch and a half around well they got to be survivors matthew they've been around for that long yeah absolutely ridiculous but matt that was you know back in i think uh, the actual aboriginals the the ones that were here initially yeah they loved the actual concord grape why not yeah but when the you know the pioneers and so forth then the they all arrived they thought they were brutal tasting things. They thought they were kind of sour and bitter, and they didn't see what the aboriginals liked in them. But they used them for things like what? Jams and so forth and jellies and, and jams, juice. Juice. Even grape pie. The, the grapes that were growing in areas where they were making wine years and years and years ago. And again, you guys probably wouldn't have this information sitting in front of you, but it, it obviously had to be a different grape. It had to be able to take a different climate, right? Because let's go to Italy. Okay, or France, where they were where they were predominantly making wine early on, that had to be a, it. It has to be a different a different variety of this that can take a different set of temperatures, right? Well, because in Italy, you're 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 dealing with a completely different different soil type. It would be like a lime based soil, right? You would have a lot more of, of an aggregate in the soil. You'd be, you'd be different like it'd be different conditions. If it's coastal, you're dealing with like 
salt in the air and, and high winds, whereas here in Canada, this thing had adapted itself to minus 30. Yeah. Sure, man, and it was it zones 5 through 8, so it wasn't like out on its own and uh, standing in the No, street. and that's why these wild grapes, you always see them growing in and amongst forest-type areas where there's shelter. Edges of forest. Yeah. And, you know, Matt, yeah. the pH was in the neighborhood of 5 to 6.5, okay? So it, it, was, it didn't take super, you know, it was acidic, but it wasn't anywhere near the alkaline. So again, you had to grow them in the in the ideal conditions, full sun, that yeah. kind of idea. Yeah, and then you would get a lot of fruit if you didn't uh, keep them in the sun. Very little, uh, like remo- reduced amount of sunlight means reduced amount of fruit. Simple okay. as that. All right, hold on. Thanksgiving, we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned the big staple. Now for us, ladies and gentlemen, McFarland is the name. It's not MacFarland. It's McFarland. But we are Irish by way of Scotland. Okay, so we are true Celts. Okay, and uh, my dad and I are so Celt, in fact, that we just simply do not wear underwear ever because true true Celts don't wear underwear under there anything. No, the potato. Come on. This is the staple of Thanksgiving. Okay, and this was this was the predominant issue when it came to the Irish potato famine that we talked about on the St. Paddy's Day show where there was a potato blight and that effectively was the thing that kickstarted this whole Irish famine. But the potato has now become the centerpiece for most North American European uh, festivities. Talk about the potato. So where did it come from, Matt? China? No. Mom? Peru. Peru? Peru. The potato is a South American native. Okay. It came from Peru. It's from 8,000 to 5,000 years ago. It was brought to Europe by Sir Walter Raleigh. Ah. The English explorer, fifteen thirty-six, right, Lynn? Yeah, I wonder 15. if North. I wonder if Raleigh, North Carolina, is named after this. Uh, probably, guy. sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, fifteen thirty-six. He brought it back to England, and it ended up uh, in fifteen eighty-nine. It was very popular in Ireland. Yeah, but if the, the original potatoes were pretty gruesome tasting, okay. so when they ended up in England. There was a real move for having wholesome diets. Watch, and there was this, watch the table. There was this activist guy, and I didn't get his name, but he was really into uh, eating really healthy food, and he declared the potato is absolutely horrible, and you shouldn't eat it, and it's not healthy. He's a filthy liar. You know, he considered a a unwholesome diet to have it anywhere within your in your uh, ideas of whatever you were going to eat on a daily basis. Maybe. I happen to put capes on mine and, and call them super tubers. <laughs> okay. And the potato ended up coming to Canada via New Brunswick in the 1600s. It came to here via New Brunswick. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I guess I coastal, right? Or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Okay. Our East Coast was settled first and what by that? the Europeans. So. so what does that mean if you put a potato on the end of your... Hey! But Matthew, all in all, since it did arrive here from New, into New Brunswick in the 1600s, we were, we're very happy for it. But Matt, what is the most popular potato out there right now? Oh, it's got to be the russet. Absolutely. Yeah. The best. They said it's uh, good mashed... It's high in starch, that kind of idea. Good baked. Okay. While we're on this, we've established that we're going to do Thanksgiving. My wife recently learned how to make Portuguese potatoes. Mm. Have you ever had these things? No. It's russet potatoes, but there's a little bit of lemon juice in there. She, You, you physically marinade the potatoes. Marinade? You marinate. Whatever. <laughs> you do something to it, okay? With an M. <laughs> All right? You marinate. <laughs> no, I think it's marinade. Anyway. Yeah, not <laughs> to. What you talking about? Freaking grammar police. You marinate these things for like a day and then you make it. It is nuts. Mm. Nuts. We will make it at Thanksgiving. We'll have turkey and Portuguese potatoes in an Irish household. We'll be super confused. It's like the United Nations here. <laughs> wow. So, so Matthew... It, I don't know what your favorite potato is. If you said it's a russet, but no, I said the russet is probably the most popular. I know that McDonald's uses the russets, and I think that it had to do with just the density of the potato. They take well to being dropped in oil. There, uh, we talked with <sighs> BD's potatoes. Okay, they make they're one of the major suppliers of potatoes for Lay's, and they do a lot of russets because, again, when you shave the the potato down super thin for the chips, the russets 
take well to be in o- to be in oil. It's the density of the of the cellular structure of the actual potato. We recently got some just some straight up white potatoes this past summer, and these were the mushiest, most disgusting. You, you like if you even got it near near any hot water at all, the thing just collapsed. It was awful, and the kids wouldn't eat it. They're like, nope, I'm not doing it. Well, Matt, they come in every size and shape that you can think of, everything from fingerlings to these petites, right? Yeah. But here's a big trivia question for you, Matthew. The fifth most popular food crop is tubers or potatoes. Okay. okay. So what is one through four? Food crop. Yep. In other words, a crop that's grown strictly for consumption. Consumption. Okay. Number one has got to be like a cereal grain thing, wheat. That's one, number one, Matt. Okay. Yeah. Number two, rice, corn, corn, and then rice, and rice, and then four, oats, sugar cane, and then five is potatoes. Yeah. That's amazing, eh? Sugar cane is ahead of potatoes. Well, sure. Let's think about the, yeah. all the sweetening yeah, agents right. and everything. You're right. You're right. Okay. It's but then huge. again, too, I wonder how much that's going on now because now you got all these substitutes. You got stevia and all the stuff going on now. I mean, obviously stevia would never overtake or has not overtaken sugarcane, but come on, it's it's everywhere now. Sure, right? But the the thing is, Matthew. In the end, you it is what it is because people eat what they want to eat. Yeah. Okay. Now, I um, personally, I I like the actual Yukon Gold for potatoes. That's my favorite potato. Did I hear correctly that the Yukon Gold was developed at the University of Guelph? You know what, Matthew? I have no idea. I think I think I heard that correctly. That the Yukon Gold was a University of Guelph thing. Let me let me look that up. But as far as mom, your favorite potato is it? Is it one that we've mentioned? Is there something that we haven't mentioned yet? No, I'm with Dad. Yukon Gold. How come? I just like the taste of. It. I like the yellow flesh. New York fries are made with Yukon Gold. I don't even know if they're around anymore. Huge. So, Matthew, before we move off potatoes for a second. What's the green potato about? The green, this is a, it's an alkaloid, yeah. right? If you eat a green potato, da, 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 hold up a second. Uh, yes, the Yukon Gold potato was developed in the 1960s by renowned world-class potato breeder, Gary Johnson, while at the University of Guelph. By the way, many thanks to www.plant.uoguelph.ca. This is an article written by the University of Guelph. Sounds a little biased, but yes, this was this is a Canadian invention. Sure. So, Matt, the, the green potato is a glycoalkaloid, okay? Yeah. And so it, what it basically is, it's an evidence that this various chemical, uh, this toxin, uh, is appearing, okay? So it doesn't mean that you're going to have, okay, if it's light green or dark green or whatever, that doesn't mean you're going to have any more or less. It's just evidence that it's there. Okay, but and even if you cook it, is this bad? It's, still, it's very bad. It so can, you can, if you get a green potato in your don't bag, eat the green potato. It's as simple as that. <laughs> you don't know what? It. Seriously, I gotta tell you something right now, right on the spot. Did here. you eat a green potato? No, 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 Dad. You've just stumbled upon. This is a kid's book. Don't eat the green potato. Don't eat the green potato. Wait, no, that's no, not good. <laughs> but Matthew, even it's, like, but no, it's even the leaves, Matthew are toxic. Okay, so you're not even... So okay, so why? Why does this happen? It's just a... I, I'm not sure if it's a protective thing for the plant or it's because I know that the actual green on the actual potato is because it's getting too much sunlight. You notice when, you, when you're growing potatoes, you will mound them, you make up mounds around them. Yeah. And I'm not growing anywhere near that yep. one. Yep. But the idea is that you want... <laughs> <laughs> the idea is you want to make sure that these tubers yep. are not getting any sunlight on yeah. them. It, it isn't a one-burr. They're a tuber. Okay, Even so the eyes are poisonous. Even the eyes are poisonous. What? So what is the actual poison that's available that is there because of the green? What is it called? I thought you said it was it's a... It's a glycoalkaloid. That's not the actual poison. What is, is it? Cyanide? Solanine. Okay. It's a poison. So if you take that potato and you stick it in your, you know, your storage drawer with... Onions, that's one of the worst things you can do. Right. Because that produces ethylene gas, which in turn will make the eyes grow more. And that is not a good thing either. You make sure you do not eat those eyes because that has got something called acrylamide. Explain acrylamide, Matthew. Holy jeez. Okay. Let's get away from the intense Walter White level chemistry here about this. 
how often does this green potato thing happen? Like, is this a, a, a major concern? Like, are, do we have to now avoid potatoes? No, altogether? no. As so long as you don't the, eat the green, it's not like every potato is a green potato. Okay, but okay. just don't eat the lousy green potato. Do you have you ever been shipped a green potato in a bag of potatoes? Sure, yeah, all the time, all the time. Pop. Sure, I would. I don't seen, think I've ever seen one. Oh, I've seen one. One percent of the time, the potatoes are so they get thrown away. Or if there's very small amounts, you can you can take a uh, your uh, potato peeler and you can take and get you rid of it. You can take it off. You can take so it off. So if you remove the green, it's fine. Yes. But you realize that that poison is still present. If you left that green on there, that poison is still present even if you baked it or you fried it in oil. Happy okay? Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy <laughs> Thanksgiving. But Matthew, all in all, it's not something that you need to be concerned about. No, I know. But you're because the deeper that you get into the layers of poison and the layers of bad on this potato, it's like, wait a second. No, no. It, <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, yeah. It, it's like anything else, you know, keep a, be aware of it all that what's happening. Right. Right. OK. Corn. Corn's a great one. Yeah. Now, this is what this is. Number three on your list. You said number three. One was wheat. Two was corn. Two was corn. Three was rice. Yeah. Four was sugar, uh, sugar cane. Five was potatoes. Potato. So corn's the number two on this thing. Why does that surprise? Why does that surprise? I don't you, know man? why it surprises me. But the, we, you, on our show where we talked about movie night, and you guys talked about popcorn. And the thing that always amazes me, and first of all, I'm a bit of a popcorn snob. I don't, I don't air pop my corn because that's just that's for amateurs. I don't like the taste of, of, of air popped popcorn. We do it old school. We put olive oil in the pot on the stove. It tastes like it tastes like movie popcorn. And what I didn't realize is the reason why these things pop is each corn, each dried kernel of corn has got a single drop of water. Yeah. So when it boils, sorry, when it boils, yeah, it, it turns to steam, yeah, and then it will pop. And that's why too, when you see the lid of your pot on the stove. And there's condensation on there. This is that droplet of water condensing and and basically collecting on the roof of you. It's super cool. But many things. Wait a minute. But there, there, there's only certain varieties that will actually physically well, pop. Well, the varieties that I'm using are popping. Let me and tell you. And they've been popping corn for a no, long time. No, no. But time. I'm talking actually popping corn. is oh. in, The varieties are called inverta. Okay. It's a varieties. Okay. And so they would include things like, uh, let me think here, dent, flint, pod, these are the names of the corn. Yeah, they what people are fascinated with one with one word names. Yeah, but flint, <laughs> cob, and uh, okay, cob, not cob, cob pod. Oh. Come on, you get names like that, you get dad can get confused as well. Right, and sweet corn. Right, is another one. Okay, but and, there's now you were saying too that there's there is varieties of corn that they just simply grow for livestock. Oh, absolutely, field corn, and it's just it's simply grown. There's no. Intention for human consumption ever. It's just these are for the cow cows corn. and the sheep. Yeah, yeah. cow corn. Cow and corn. you're also saying too, while we're on topic of this, <laughs> if you give the cow way too much corn, it can bloat. Oh, it just expands oh. like a an absolute <laughs> balloon. And I've seen. And what, then they have to take it and puncture the cow or something. Well, yeah, they put they put a it's it's like a giant hypodermic needle, and they put it through their one uh, through their side into one of their their stomach chambers. <laughs> And it releases the, the gas inside. And let me tell you, it, you think the smell is bad from the rear end of a cow? You should try it when it comes out of the side of the cow from one of its stomachs, okay? From all of us here at the growing season, we really hope that you're enjoying beef for your Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> 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 yeah, we were driving to a job to something. And um, and my dad was like, oh, yeah, that, that looks like fuel corn. Man, you give the cows too much fuel corn, they just blow it right out. And then they got to stick a needle in the side of it. And you get. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Matthew. Yeah. Is corn a fruit, a vegetable, or a grain? A grain. Wrong. Mom, what is it? It's all of the above. It's all of the above. Why? Okay. Let me get this right. Is it a fruit? When it's on the cob? Fruit is because it's got capsicum kernels. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a vegetable because it has an elongated style that is attached to an individual ovary. Okay. Okay. And it also is a grain because, again, it has a kernel. But here's a really, really cool thing. I don't know if a lot of you, of our listeners knew this, Matthew. The flowers are the, uh, of the ma- are the, sorry, the flowers are the tassels, which are the male. Yeah. And the silks. Are the, the female flowers okay? Yeah. But in order to get a kernel forming, 
on the actual cob itself, what has to happen? Uh, I don't know. A pollen grain must fall on one of the silks to form a kernel. And this is all done through wind, wind pollination. Because the bees are like, I don't like I don't want anything to do with There's it. There's nothing attractive about the tassel. <laughs> no, a cob of corn. They're like, yeah. no, no. <laughs> so, but yeah. each silk makes one kernel. Well, I knew that. Yeah, that was, again, from last year's stuff where we're talking about that. That astounds me. We have a, fi- a, we have a field of corn across from our house and I, and, I, and I keep looking at that and be like, oh, look at that. That field of corn is covered in silk sheets. But you know what, Matthew? What? In the end, uh, corn's been around about 10,000 years and it came out of Mexico. Wow. And so, they found remnants of popcorn in a cave in Mexico from 3,600 years ago. Wonderful. And that is a great place to press pause. Now, something that we stumbled along along the way here is that we didn't do a Thanksgiving show last year, and we were kind of perplexed as to why. And going back and doing investigation on this, it's simply that because the growing season came out, it debuted on September the 30th, there was so much material that, that we wanted to cover horticulturally. And we never got to it. Just didn't get to it. And it's because when we talked about doing this show, I was like, no, we, we had to have done a Thanksgiving show. And you're like, no, we didn't. I went back and looked, and you're right, we didn't do it. No. Wow. And it wasn't like we, we didn't want to do it. It was just that we were starting out new, Matthew. We, we yeah. wanted to make sure that we, we covered topics to get people's attention. Yeah. And it's that kill. Remember? Yeah, so good. And, and, and there's the woman screaming. Okay. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on Show Bits. That was the visual accompaniment to the show. Directly after this show, presses pause and, we, and you can move on to other shows on Saga 960 AM. This show has been podcasted and embedded right into the show bits. What's up, Dad? Oh, I have 10 seconds to mention. One last thing about corn? Uh, Yeah, but it better be 10 seconds. Okay. Corn gets something called fusarium light. You know what that is? No. It's the same idea as the what is affecting our bananas, our Cavendish bananas. Oh, like it's like a... It's like a disease. It's like a... Animal disease. Yeah. I just thought that was a super cool little fact that we came across. Cool. Well, not cool, but okay. If you would like to have us on site, growingseasoncanada.com, click on TGS Tiny Gardens. That uh, is our modus operandi for how we treat the typical subdivision landscape. Click on contact as well. That sends you directly to me. I'm lining up consults and landscape designs for over the winter. This is a common practice for me. I like to have winter work and begin to get things scheduled and prepped for spring, which many don't believe it, but it is right around the corner. As usual, mom and dad, Jack and Lynn join us. And the jokes have now been passed along to moi because we have a whole sequence in how we sign off. Check this out. A lady, hey lady, a lady was picking through the frozen turkeys at the grocery store for Thanksgiving. She couldn't find a turkey big enough for her family. So, she says to the stock boy, Hey, do these turkeys get any bigger? Stock boy replies, No, ma'am. They're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Until the next time, have a good one. And from all of us here at the growing season, happy Thanksgiving. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs.